Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we were reviewing Brad Bird's directorial return to animation form in Disney Pixar's The Incredibles 2, and Greta Gerwig's first big directorial debut, I think, uh, Lady Bird, which is on Amazon Prime for the folks out there who haven't seen it. But first, the news. There was a lot to dig through this week. Yeah. A lot of news. We spent some time debating back and forth what we were and weren't going to talk about. We don't want to bore you, bore you with it, but uh, the first one is a sports kind of story and i'm hoping you can help me with this because i don't know anything about it uh sports at least no problem uh lebron james to co-produce hbo documentary on exploitative world of ncaa sports lebron james of course is a big figure in the ncaa and that's about all i know uh yeah. what what can you tell me about this actually he's not a big figure in the ncaa he never played t- college ball okay well shows how much <laughs> i know yeah. well, and that's exactly why he's doing uh wants to do this documentary um the ncaa has been accused of ex- exploiting athletes because they do not get paid they do not see the big you know millions of dollars that they might bring to the school mm-hmm. um i heard a story recently of uh, johnny manzel who i believe was at texas a&m um or maybe it was ut whichever school um and they saw their endowment go from 500 million to 700 million and which was pretty much attributed to him playing football there yeah and while yes he gets a full scholarship and a free education that pales in comparisons to the hundreds of millions he was bringing into the to the schools. And so uh, this documentary, LeBron James um, is co-producing, um, will kind of delve into that world and, and see what kind of figures, um, you know, money-wise are coming into the school and what athletes actually make. And because athletes aren't allowed to, like, actually earn or be paid if they're in the NCAA. Um, and that's part of the reason that he skipped. I mean, he went straight from high school into uh, the pro leagues. Right. The film's called Student Athlete. Comes out early October on HBO. And to quote uh, Carter, CEO of the production company, Maverick Carter, that's his name. Uh, this is an incredible, important, incredibly important story about the institutional denial of basic human rights for these student athletes. It's important, I think. Clearly, LeBron James is a part of it. He thinks it's uh, it's corrupt. Right. The NCAA. Um, I, I guess I, I'm I'm more interested to see it. Um, because of what it's about and who's involved. And I think this is a testament towards like putting things on, I know HBO is not exclusively a streaming service, but putting movies on streaming services because if this came out in theaters, I'd skip it. If it's on HBO, I'll probably watch it. Yeah. Like that's, that's accessible to me. And even though I'm not a sports guy, like that sounds like a story worth telling. Um, so I'm interested and I, I like the sound of it. So I guess we we'll, might review it on this show. I guess we'll have to yeah, I'm, see. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's an interesting because, you know, they we use the NCAA to kind of train athletes for the pros, but at the same time, that it's, is their prime mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, ne- so it'll be interesting to see. The next story we have, Ewan McGregor to star in new Shining movie, Dr. Sleep. This was an exclusive story out of Variety about Ewan McGregor being cast as the adult Danny Torrance in Warner Brothers' adaptation of Stephen King's new, not newest novel, but one of his latest novels, Dr. Sleep. Is this newest? Yeah, sorry, newer. Newer. Uh, Dr. Sleep, uh, which is the sequel to The Shining, which is the movie most people know uh, by Kubrick, which we are big, big fans of on this (laughs) show. Um, this, this first, I guess, before we dig into the deeper part of the story, because there's kind of a they buried the lead a little bit in here, and I want to get into what it's really about. But first, what do you think of him being cast as adult Danny Torrance? You're a big fan of The Shining, right? Um, well, before I get into that, uh, I think it's important to say that Doctor Sleep is a sequel to The Shining book, 
mm-hmm. not not the film. Right. And um, I've just read a, short, a brief synopsis, which it kind of deals with uh, adult Danny still dealing with the demons of his father. In the book, his uh, Jack Torrance is very much an alcoholic mm-hmm. um, and an abusive in other ways. And those, uh, you know, it's kind of about the cycle of, of alcoholism or substance abuse because now Danny, I think, has... has Hat. Now he has a number of those problems, mm-hmm. um, but still, you know, shines and has those kind of supernatural uh, abilities. Um, so as far as adult Danny Torrance, I mean, it could really be anyone. I mean, Danny Torrance <laughs> is such a, a, sm- a young, in the original, he's five years old. So sure. a grown-up version, it could be anyone. But it, it's exciting because you and McGregor's a great actor. Yeah, personally, I'm a, I'm a tremendous fan of McGregor. Um, love him. Always loved him. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him in, in even something like Christopher Robin. Like, great, it'll be cool. Um, and apparently Stephen King gave his blessing to the casting, which is telling because, as far as I know, King was not a fan of The Shining, right? No. The, the movie, I should say. Right. Yeah, not a fan of Kubrick's adaptation. Um, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Was The Shining, the first one, a property of Warner Brothers? I do I, not know. I don't remember. I do not know. I'm trying to think <laughs> of the credits with the blue and, like, the white, the blue font coming in and, like, I, I, I don't know. Um... What what's interesting about this kind of the kind of the story that's in the middle here? There's this great line where they talk about um, why this got greenlit. You know why why are we getting a sequel to a Shining? Because while the Shining was or is I should say a cult classic when it came out, it did not do that great. No, it wasn't that great when it came out. It it wasn't a bomb per se, but it wasn't great. Um, why is why is the sequel getting getting greenlit? And the reason is because of it. And it's tremendous right. success. And 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 just looking at this story and getting ready for this show, uh, we also found a couple other stories specifically about Pet Cemetery, another Stephen King adaptation, which got started filming today. Uh, to the, the the two directors revealed uh, the directors Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Wildmeyer um, revealed a set. That movie's supposed to star Jason Clark and Amy Simons and John Lithgow, which is cool. Um, but they're making a Pet Cemetery adaptation out of Paramount. And the Tommyknockers was announced um, just a little while ago with James Wan set to direct, who directed Saw and Aquaman and Insidious and The Conjuring. Um, the Stephen King, the Stephen, what did, what did you what did you call is it? it? The Stephen king Assance. The Stephen king Assance, I think, is alive and well. And this is something we talked about after It, like, because It was so huge. And, and it was, okay, well... What is what if they start greenlighting other Stephen King properties? And it sounds like they are racing to do so. Right. And it's important to remember, you know, last year we got it, but we also got the Dark Tower. We got Gerald's Game. We got 1922. I mean, there were four or five properties last year alone, and it's just it's only heating up. Right. You, you did just remind me. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sleep is supposed to be directed by the guy who did uh, Gerald's Game. His name is say mike escaping you at the moment yeah it's clearly um either way it's a good uh, time for stephen king and stephen king fans mike flanagan yep i was right um yeah it's definitely not bad if you're into stephen king it's great i I do wonder how they're going to or even if it's worth trying to keep all of this self-contained in any kind of stephen king universe i guess they can't if Paramount owns one and Warner Brother owns another, like uh, you can't really. But at the same time, like, do you need to per se? And I know King does. A yeah. lot of his stuff is in the same universe. Yeah, he but. references other other works. You know, in uh, in Dolores Claiborne, there's a line where she says, "You know, you're gonna do a, a stint in Shawshank." <laughs> yeah. So, I I don't know. 
I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but um, keep an eye on the horizon because Stephen King movies are coming and they're coming very fast. The last story we have before we get into The Incredibles 2 is MoviePass reps 40% of Gotti's $1.67 million opening as critics slaughter John Travolta <laughs> mob pick. It's a I love great when they headline. slaughter in a headline to talk about a movie and not like something horrible. Um, Andy, you want to? You're you're the movie pass expert. You might you mind bailing me out of this? Help me. Okay, out? yeah. So I'll, I'll start. So yeah, uh, John Travolta's uh, biopic of uh, mobster uh, John Gotti uh, came out this week to a very very small opening of one point six seven million dollars. Cost ten million to produce, mm. um, and it's kind of taken a long time. It's been a seven year project or so to get this thing made, and apparently it's just terrible. Um, and apparently, movie pass has taking credit for about 40% of those ticket sales. Yeah. Now this is a little dubious because um, it's kind of hard to verify those numbers, but also um, MoviePass has a stake in this movie. They helped uh, kind of fund it at uh, Sundance or at part of the financing or just distribution they're involved. So they're essentially promoting and buying tickets for their own movie. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, sometimes studios may or may not do that that it's definitely kind of a open secret it's things that studios definitely never talk about if they do buy tickets for their own movies to kind of bolster their opening and weaken numbers but there's no hiding this all right um first clearly Gotti's not that great uh 23 reviews on rotten tomatoes it has a zero a zero percent that's almost an honor honestly like yeah. you're so bad um nobody at all liked your movie uh, out of the 23 reviews, I should say. Um, I, I keep thinking one day I'll wake up and see a headline, movie pass done. You know, if, you, if, you've got, for it. if you've got your card, go get it laminated because it is now a piece of history. Um, and, and it hasn't happened yet. And, and stuff like this makes me, it reminds me that like, despite the, the short but brief bright light that, that movie pass has been, um, it feels like it has done something to this industry. It has left a couple of, of wakes at the very least. Um, because this is not like this movie would have made less money. It would have made significantly less money. But because of MoviePass, people are willing to take a chance on something they normally wouldn't. Now, does that mean they would they would spend the money on it if they could? Not necessarily. That's right. Um, but it, it means something, and I don't know what. I, I'm not an analyst. I, I don't know what exactly there is to take away from this but it's 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 weird yeah a movie that is by 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 and large terrible gets 40 percent of its viewership from a from a subscription service yeah you know? i'm not sure that it's a positive thing to be associated with a terrible movie <laughs> that is a good point you know i, I don't think you know because people will say well people will take a bigger risk because of of having movie pass or they'll see things they wouldn't normally see but i was like you're in the end you you might end up promoting poor bad cinema right i i was quick to compare it to like the cloverfield paradox which is not necessarily a bad movie but paramount offloaded that to netflix and was like here you go just take take this movie that we don't think will do well in theaters and like that's you know i guess it's good for netflix a bunch of people watched it but like what does that do that kind of associates you with the bad movie and paramount gets out scot-free so it's not necessarily like a good, not necessarily a good business deal. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't think MoviePass sees it that way. I think they look at a number like this and say, "Think of what we can do for your movie." Yeah, you know. But at the same time, being res responsible for maybe six hundred thousand dollars of a 
movie that's already way upside down um, in the re- in the red. It's yeah, not, not really something to brag about. Mm, that's that's a fair point. Either way, that just about wraps our news for the week. Like I said, there's a lot more, but we don't have time to get to it because we need to start talking about the new movie from Disney Pixar, The Incredibles Two. The Incredibles 2 is the story of directly following the first film, uh, Robert and Helen Parr and their three children, Violet Dashiel, which they just call him Dash, and Jack-Jack, uh, as they struggle to make ends meet and, and get by in a world without superheroes, specifically in The Incredibles 2, to not give too much away. Uh, after the events of the first film, they find themselves um, dis. I was going to say disassociated without a home because if you remember at the end of The Incredibles, their their house gets exploded uh, by syndrome, um, and they have to kind of figure out what what's next for them. Where are they going to live? What are they going to do? And just about when the superhero program is shut down, um, things turn around thanks to a a, a wealthy investor entrepreneur played by uh, Bob Odenkirk and his uh, snarky sister who uh, swoop in to help reinvent superheroes in the public's image thanks to uh, Elastigirl and using her primarily as a catalyst to get people to like superheroes again. Um, and It's a PR tour. It's a, it's a PR tour. Uh, Elastigirl runs off to, to, to go be a superhero in, in the big city and, and, and Bob stays home with the kids. Uh, hilarity ensues. Um that's that's the setup for Incredibles two, right? Uh, did I think I did an okay job there? Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure I, did, I didn't miss anything. Um, what did you think? Like, that's a good place to start, right? <laughs> okay. What did, yeah. Okay. So I thought it was a lot, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt they ramped up a lot of things uh, from the first film. Like there's more action, and it, it's the action set pieces work really well. There's a motorcycle chase scene uh, towards the beginning, which is is phenomenal. Uh, there's a few more superheroes. Uh, there are we get a little bit more Frozone, who everyone loves. Um, so it's fun, it's funny, it's entertaining. Um, however, I just kind of thought it was okay. Um, it it its story didn't really work for me as well as uh, the first one did. Um, it it kind of swaps uh, the story where you know Helen is out uh, being the superhero and yeah. Bob Parr has to be the stay at home dad, and so mm-hmm. it kind of plays with this kind of role reversal dynamic. Um, but then about halfway through the movie, it just like abandons that, <laughs> that whole situation. Like it's, it's kind of non-essential and part of what made the first film so good and so impactful is that it dealt with these very adult themes of, um, you know, essentially a midlife crisis in the first film. Like Bob is having a midlife crisis about being a ser- or not being able to be a superhero and there's, you know, th- their marriage is on the rocks and there's uh, suspicion of infidelity. Like these are some really serious things but wrapped up in a kid's movie, wrapped up in the superhero genre, um, and it deals with these themes through the whole movie, and it's about family, and it, it really comes together for a really, quote-unquote, incredible movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this one, it just it lacks that narrative impact, that really compelling story. I mean, it's, it's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. It just didn't pull me in uh, the way the first one did. Yeah, and I, I think a, a big part of that, and I felt fairly similar, I think, um, I think a big part of the reason that was is because the first one was so um, out of nowhere, you know. Yeah. It, it just it was in two thousand four. We we hadn't really hit to like 
we superhero hit, yeah. fever yet. And it's not to say this one is like cashing in all those superhero points. Like, no. Um, but it is Disney Pixar's like it's Pixar superhero movie, to be fair. Um, yeah, the the first one is is kind of a it's a relatively simple tale of, of, of a superhero who's a has been, right? Which right. is appropriate for for two thousand four. And it's his it's his rise to to, to kind of come back and also rally around the fact that maybe his powers are more than just him like it's his family and the people right. around him that make him who he is this movie kind of flips the script and and, and it goes in a very uh, i have to wonder wonder woman inspired direction uh with with having helen uh be kind of your, your main go-to she is the hero right and she in a way kind of follows the same trajectory not quite but like she i mean in the same way as the first one she ends up kind of leaving the family you guys do you i'm gonna go do me it's gonna be great and while she calls in and is relatively responsible um it's kind of the same lesson but in reverse uh and 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 i i it had this element of like female empowerment and women leadership which was great yeah but on top of a a subplot for bob which you have to deal with because he was the main character in the first one you can't abandon him on top of him being um what, what am i looking for like stay-at-home dad yeah uh, i was gonna say mr mom yeah <laughs> on top of him being a stay-at-home dad and dealing with with like kind of jealousy over his wife getting out getting to do things and he feels like he should bring home the bacon but he can't on top of a, a subplot with violet and and a, and a young boy she's kind of into at school uh dash trying to figure out his homework jack jack learning his powers like th- there's almost too much like it, yeah. th- there's only om- you're kind of juggling too many balls here and like the the first one like i said in a way kind of pushed the family off to the side for a while it was it was mr incredible story yeah um the villain in the first one comes from mr incredible's past like it's very much kind of a singular thing this one tries to embrace everybody and it ends up just kind of not missing everywhere but like it it it, it it's lesser for it lesser right. than the sum of its parts i, I, I feel like the family itself has no conflict like internally like in the first one we we have you know uh Bob and Helen, mm-hmm. their ma- marriage is struggling. Uh, that they're not getting along with the kids. The kids don't get along with each other. Mm-hmm. Here, we don't really have any of that. We don't have anything that they're struggling with with each other. Right. And to dig into, you're right. And to dig into the characters for a minute, I, I really did like the, kind of the arc, the progression of Helen. That was great. Um, there's there's some bits in here that are a little, just a little too mature. For kids, and maybe the first one had it, and I just don't remember, but, like, there's a couple of conversations in this that, like, even I was having trouble keeping up. I was like, right. okay, you guys are, you're talking about, like, like again, like, female empowerment and kind of, like, roles we play professionally, and there's, like, a, an analogy in real life, and, like, it's a little complicated, but it's there. Uh, Mr. Incredible is played pretty well. I, I was going to say his, his, his voice actor, uh, whose name Craig is... Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson has... Aged a little bit. It didn't quite sound the same. <laughs> Sounds a little... Like, I, I know it's been that 14 years, to be fair. Yeah. But he was the only one that I thought sounded particularly different. Um, Violet's subplot, I actually pretty much enjoyed. Like, it was, it was yeah. good for a couple laughs, and I thought she was well played out. I kind of wish that there had been more time between the... Because it essentially, it literally picks up right from the end of the first film. And I kind of wish we would have... would have the first one. Yeah. yeah, we would have had a little bit of time, a little bit of a breather. We could have put the characters in maybe a little bit different situations. Yeah, like, they, they, they kind of hamstrung themselves there. Um, Dash, Dash is 
basically relegated to the background, right? Yeah. I mean, out of all the characters in the movie, Dash has the least involvement, I think, in the story. And because uh, his problems are math homework. That's his yeah. big, which again, no kidding. And we, we get more, more Jack-Jack, but I feel like it's, it's for laughs. Totally. Like it, like it does, I was hoping it was kind of going to end yeah. up being for more and then it's for laughs. very much like slapsticky. What are his powers going to do next laugh? Which are good, like, which are fair. Um, Edna Mode returns to the movie as as voiced by Brad Bird. She's fine. Um, I thought Lucius Frozone, Samuel Jackson's character, um, oddly underplayed. Not not that he wasn't in this movie less. I think he was in it more in in this one more yeah. than the first one. But his lines weren't as memorable. You know, I think I think of Frozen. I think of lines like "I wanted to go bowling" and and you know the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the wife flipping out. Like that doesn't really happen in this one. He's kind of mm-hmm. just subdued. Uh, so that was weird. Um, the, the, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say that being said, it, it's important to note that. It made $180 million. It made a week. killing. Yeah. This is the biggest opening for an animated film, biggest opening for a PG-13 film. I mm-hmm. think probably the, it might be one of the biggest openings uh, for Pixar. It might be the biggest, biggest opening for Pixar. So even though it, it has its problems because the IP is so well-loved, like it made a huge killing this weekend. Yeah. I, I, I liked the way, I should say, I, I enjoyed the, the villain a lot. villain was... I take it back. Kind of underplayed, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I like Syndrome. I the, vi- the yeah. villain was a little. I, I okay. like Syndrome a lot more, but Syndrome was was phenomenally memorable. Big red hair, and yeah. like he had a he had, you know, story with his kid, and like that was a whole thing. Um, not this one isn't good. Uh, definitely uh, seizure warnings, which is weird. Yeah, that's been a thing about this movie. I, I didn't see that before I went and saw it. Um, nobody underst- in my theater. I can understand that now. Weird choice by Disney to let that slide. Honestly, I, I'm surprised they let that get out the door. Um, because you know you don't want to have to premiere a movie with a big bold warning over the top of it that says warning seizures might happen like that's dangerous you know um, you, you know if you if you're gonna have the, the an effect like that in the movie that's supposed to be kind of hypnotic um, you could just have like you know a, a, like get out did be creative you right. know have a have a swirling coffee Something spoon that's, or, that's or, or, or yeah a yeah. pocket watch rocking back and forth I don't know and to clarify. Um, so some films and TV shows can cause photoelectric seizures from mm-hmm. flashing lights, and so there there's a lot of flashing scenes in the movie that could possibly trigger that for some people. It felt a little long. What do you think? No, um, I, w- I was okay with the length. It, had it been a better story, I wouldn't have cared. I think maybe that's it. Yeah, it just it felt a little. There were, there were a couple points where it slowed down. I was like, where is this going? Like I don't. Which to be fair. It keeps you on your toes. Like, it does. I, I wasn't really sure where it's going next. It, it didn't feel too predictable. Being, being being adults, I think, if you're an adult listening to this podcast, I thought you are. <laughs> Bold cinema, after all. Yeah, you're probably going to see where things are going a little bit. Like, you're, you're going to watch it and make predictions. And, I mean, it's 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 kind of like watching an episode of Scooby-Doo. There's only so many characters. There's only so many possibilities. At some point, you start to figure out where things are going. But that being said, it, it's got plenty of, like, exciting set pieces to keep things interesting. And I love the way a lot of the powers and kind of areas and settings were used to keep characters moving. Um, there's, there's an introduction of a couple of... I said a few kind of side supers in the movie. Yeah. And their powers make things interesting and have a really cool art style. They have a guy who's got this kind of electric effect that shoots electricity that looks like it's right out of paper animation. So these really solid lightning bolts and this girl named Void who shoots portals like out of the movie, like out of yeah, the, the, the game movie portal, the game portal. And those are really cool for some effects with Kate, like Dash running through them and like rooms repeating and stuff. Like there was some, there's some really cool stuff in there. Like there's some really, really good creativity. Yeah. Um, 
one one of the things I I'm reminded of. Sorry, no, 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 no. <laughs> I totally blanked. Um, uh, from the first movie, it's just it's you really get that comic book feel. Like you have a great comic book villain. Yeah, you have yeah. like the struggles and the backstory are, are done really well in, in the first one. And and a lot of this movie is very derivative. Yeah, um, and I, and I want to get to Brad Bird in a second because uh, he wrote and directed this. But before I get there, I do want to talk about it. And I'm sure you've got other <laughs> Sorry, things you want to talk about. I just about. remembered what I'd like we'll, now, but go we'll, on. I'll, I'll, we'll cap him on the end because I have a lot to say about him. Uh, Michael Giacchino did the score yes. for this. Incredible score. Yeah. Incredible. I, and I say that knowing the title of the movie. Uh, I'm not even a really a music guy. And I, I, I stayed through the whole credits to listen to the whole bit at the end. The people at the theater were, were uh, two of them told me to leave. And I was like, I just like to hang out through the credits. There's no scene at the end of the credits, sir. I don't care. I just wanted to <laughs> hang out and look at the art and like listen to the music. Um, I'm interested really in score. who's in the, yeah, the yeah. film. Um, so I said earlier that this movie ramps up a lot of the action and things from the, the first one. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with the score. Like The score in the first one is really good. It, it's a mi- this mixture of, of of jazz and kind of uh, like spy genre mm-hmm. um, film. And so we get... This, that same thing, but everything's over the top. Like if you listen to like the the big, it's like jazzy and like big band sounding. It's like the players are going off. Like they're just scream, yeah, they're screaming. Just, they're having fun. Yeah. yeah. And like it sounds like it. Like it comes across. It's just, It sounds like so much fun to listen to. And it's bombastic. And you've got these big horns coming in and like a xylophone. And like it's, yeah, it's really cool. It's a great score. Um, really impressed. Anything before I get to the director? Because I got a no, whole, I got no. a whole spiel. <laughs> go, yeah. go ahead. Sit tight. Relax. All right. Um, Brad Bird. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a tremendous Brad Bird fan. I am. Um, Brad Bird. For those who don't, who aren't super familiar with him, he wrote and directed a little movie called The Iron Giant back in the day, which is a, a an animated film I hold very near and dear to my heart. I, I love that movie. Um, he following that, he did that in '99. And, and the Iron Giant, for those who haven't seen it, and I, I think you should, um, is set in like 50s, 60s Rockwall, which is new, like New England, uh, maybe maybe early 70s, but it, it's got a time and it's got a place and, and, and it's, it looks very much like a Norman Rockwell painting. And uh, The Incredibles comes out five years later in 2004, also animated, CGI animated, but animated. Uh-huh. And it's it doesn't really have a place of setting because of the sci-fi tone, and they spend a lot of time on the island in The Incredibles, so it seems like the future. But for the most part, looking at their house, looking at the car Bob drives, it, it it's very much like 50s, 60s again. And this movie like builds on that because it's got cities in it and it's got more technology. And while the technology is very futuristic, it's definitely got like the 50s, 60s vibe, right? Yeah. It's got that feel, like the the fonts on on billboards the house in the movie, yeah, in. the house they're in, like everything about it has that look and that feel, and the music reflects that. Brad Bird did his last animated movie in 2007 with Ratatouille, also great. But he hasn't done one since. He did Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which was good. He did Tomorrowland, which I didn't see. And he did I heard this. it was not good. <laughs> I heard it was not great, yeah. Uh, also had the same release window as Solo, so just take that to heart. Uh, it, this was his return to animation, and, and for me... This was a, a tremendous return to form for the guy. I, I I think his his imagination, the way he the way he thinks how people talk, the way he thinks conversations work, the way he thinks people interact, somehow fits animation better than reality. I don't know if it's yeah. just like you you can get it better. You can get a performance out, out of out of paper and ink than, better than you can out of people. I, I'm not sure what that is exactly, but like 
Man, I, I there, there were so many parts in this movie that reminded me not only of The Incredibles, but directly out of The Iron Giant. This this movie opens with a interrogation scene where essentially a, a, a police officer is interrogating a young boy. Um, and and if you watch this movie and you've seen The Iron Giant, like compare that scene with the scene in Iron Giant when Kent Mansley is interviewing Hogarth or interrogating Hogarth about the giant. It is it is almost the same like right. it's it's shocking how close it is and there's a lot of stuff in this there's a television running in the background of a few scenes that shows some surprisingly uh quaint homages like johnny quest is in this, yeah. in this movie yeah <laughs> the outer limits days of our lives is in this um and that's very much like iron giant where they had actual footage of old stuff on the television in that movie like there's just these little these little bits and and between the Incredibles 2 and Brad Bird getting back to animation and Iron the Iron Giant showing up in Spielberg's Ready Player One, it's a great time to be an Iron Giant fan. And and I, a lot of people don't care, but I do, and, and I, I felt like I had to tell you. So that's that's my bit on Brad Bird. Love him. <laughs> I'm looking forward to what he does next, which is a movie called 1906, and I know nothing about it other than that. So I had one, yeah. one last thing to, uh, to ask you about. Uh, what did you think of the short before the movie? Movie. We should talk about the short. Sure. Uh, it's a Pixar movie. The short was called Bao. Yep. B-A-O. Uh, it f- <laughs> I thought it was going a certain way at first. Um, it reminded me of this, this, this Studio Ghibli film called My Neighbors, the Yamadas? Yamamadas? I don't remember. You're looking at me like you don't know. No, it's I fine. don't. You don't have <laughs> to. Anyway, this is, this is an obscure little Ghibli film that's, anima- that's animated very, very quaintly, and it uses these like little chibi-like characters. They're like little, almost like Japanese um, caricatures of actual people. They got like big heads, small bodies, very expressive faces. Like th- their eyes aren't really eyes; they're kind of just lines. Like it's it's like a caricature of a person. And and these these little characters, the Yamadas, like interact with each other. This short is a lot like that, except CGI, computer generated. You know, like three dimensional models. And it, it tells because uh, I don't want to give too much away. Should I tell? Yeah, it's, n- no, it's it's so short. I don't. It's very quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 this cute little story of of kind of this this housewife who lives with her husband and is, is kind of lonely and one day she's making dumplings and like a very traditional um, Chinese or Japanese um, folk tale, uh, the one of the dumplings comes to life and grows arms and legs and starts hanging out and it turns out it's like a baby dumpling and so she decides to raise it as her own and it becomes like a an older dumpling and starts to grow up and and along with that dumpling growing up. Uh, comes all of the challenges of raising a child into an adult. Right. That's the best way I can think to cover that, right? Um, it's it's great, honestly. What, what did you think? Yeah, no, I, I really liked it. I liked the animation style. I thought it was very sweet. I, I actually, to me, that story, the story of the uh, um, <laughs> the short yeah. is more memorable than the storyline in The Incredibles 2. Sure. Uh, the, the short started off, because it's about 10 minutes, I think. Uh, it's It starts off a little like, okay, this is funny and goofy. And it was a little tough for me to get into the animation, but like by the end, it was tugging on those heartstrings, like yep. just like a Pixar, like any good like Pixar do. short does. Yeah, I was, I was okay. Like I'm, I'm into this. I wasn't really satisfied with the way it wrapped up, but it, shorts, shorts are deceptively difficult. I think I really yeah. do. I, I think shorts are one of those things. Like if you don't, if you if you're not big on film, if you kind of just casually go to the movies, it's easy to blow off a short. Like oh, it's dumb. Or why would I want to watch a short film over a bigger movie? Short films are are less of a story. Not necessarily. Like and and this movie is this little short's a fine example of that. Like I I really enjoyed it. It, it. In some ways, it reminded me of the short that ran in front of Wreck It Ralph, which was my favorite 
favorite Disney short they've ever made was not Disney Pixar, it's just Disney Animation Studios. It was a short called Paper Man. And it was fantastic. Uh, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you remember that, but I, I enjoyed Paper Man more than I did the movie. I got and I, <laughs> and I, I own Wreck It Ralph. I like that movie a lot, but I got out of Wreck It Ralph, and, and Christine was like, What do you think of the movie? I was like, The movie was stupid. Did you see that short, though? Like, how about that? Like, Paper Man <laughs> was great. Um, so it is, it is what it is. But for what it's worth, uh, solid entry. They've done worse, they've done better. So. Right. <laughs> I yeah. really liked it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Andy, uh, any other thoughts for you? I'm ready to go. Would you recommend The Incredibles 2? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like I said, it's a lot of fun. It's very entertaining. I laughed a lot. Uh, there's good gags. It's great to see The Incredibles back on screen. It's not quite as good as the first one. We get a little bit of the Finding Dory problem, although Finding Dory, I think, is much worse than Finding Nemo. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those first two films, both Finding Nemo and The Incredibles, are classics, essentially. And then these are kind of cash cows. Like, that's what the sequels are. And they're they're working on that measure. And they're still good movies. They're just not quite as good as the originals. I, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I think it's totally worth your time. Um, Christine was sick and couldn't see it with me. She was bummed. I got back and was like, I'll go see it again. If you want to... I, yeah. I'm willing to sit through it twice. And, like, I... I as far as the pantheon of Pixar movies, I, I don't own all of them. I don't even own many of them. But the but the ones I do own, one of them is The Incredibles. I think right. It's a great movie. Um, and, and this one, I, I think, is, is worth sitting on the shelf next to it. I really do. Like, it's not it's not like Finding Finding Dory. Like, it, it, it is... It's good, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's it's a solid number two. Um, so, yeah, that's The Incredibles <laughs> 2, I that's guess. That's right. Uh, next, we should move on to... Kind of a new segment, I guess. I don't want to say this is the death of cinema. <laughs> no. It's certainly not the trailer park. Do you have a do you have a name for it? No. I, well, I'm just going to talk about my uh, experience at the Oak Cliff Fis- Film Festival. <laughs> Oak Cliff Film Festival. Yes. Um, you went over the weekend. Right, so I, I only saw uh, one movie. Um, it was called Skate Kitchen because uh, my good friend Andra uh, got some free tickets to it. Now, I do have a funny story in that I thought it was on Sunday and it was actually on Saturday. So I actually I went to see The Incredibles 2, got out of that, immediately had to drive across town to uh, the Texas Theater in Oak Cliff, and then got there just in time to see Skate Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Skate Kitchen is a film by Crystal Moselle, who's, uh, who's from New York, um, this film is about uh, these, not young, these kind of teenage, uh, late, older teenage girls who all skate and skateboard. And uh, these are real skate, real skaters. They're, they're not actors. They're skateboarders who learn to act. And uh, apparently she was on, the director was on the bus, or not on the bus, on the subway in New York and saw this group of girls uh, with their skateboards talking. She started talking to them and thought they were really fascinating and uh, eventually decided to do a movie about them. And it's not a, it's not a uh, documentary. Um, it's kind of a fictionalized story that's around them. Um, and, and it deals with uh, the main character is named uh, Camille, who's uh, played by uh, Rachel Vinberg. Um, who's part of the, the skate kitchen and skate kitchen is like what they call themselves. Like they have an Instagram um, where, where they post videos of them skateboarding and stuff. And it's, you know, it's got a really big following. Um, and so the story deals with her kind of as a suburban teenager fighting with her mom and it's a coming of age story. And she, you know, discovers this group of girls who also skate and she m- makes friends with them and they go through some tough times, you know, some, 
boy trouble, some personal trouble, these, you know, and uh, the, the movie w- was okay. Uh, there were some really great things about it. There were some, some things that I, I thought uh, kind of meandered uh, the story. Sometimes I wasn't sh- real sure where it was going. Um, but it was really cool to see a female director make a film about, I mean, it's kind of this girlfriend group. Um, and, and like I said, th- these aren't actors. They're, uh, and they're all very inc- eccentric. And the cool thing was is all the um, – all the skateboarders were there for, and they did a Q and a after the movie. Mm-hmm. So it was really bizarre for me to like see these people on screen and then immediately see them in person. Right. And, and go ahead. And and they all kind of, they all have this very unique style, um, and which is how they just dress. And that's exactly how they all were there in the theater as well. Right. Because they play themselves. It's not like seeing an actor after their role and being like, Oh, they have a different haircut. Like this is exactly yeah. who was on screen. Like there they are. Hey, that's them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, and it was an interesting viewing because uh, there were lots of girls there from the Dallas area, like girls skateboard or female skateboarders um, that were there to support the movie. And there mm-hmm. was like all these people skating outside the theater. You know, it was it was just it was a cool like mood and vibe. And there was lots of actually yelling during the, during the screening as sure. to different things. You know, because the, f- the fans are there, the actual like cast is there and the director is there so um it was a lot of fun like i said the 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 movie had a lot of strength some weaknesses overall i enjoyed it and it was but the experience was really cool just to kind of see all that happen i I do want to talk about kind of film festivals for a minute because i i we haven't really had a chance to talk about them on this movie on on this show and i think film festivals are are an integral part of, of film and what they are but before i get to that let's talk about the movie for a second skate kitchen what's the runtime like on this um, actually, I think 90 about, minutes, two hours, uh, about an hour and a half, I think. Okay. All right. So that's not too bad. And I'm curious how it was like put together. I imagine a movie like skate kitchen following like real life skaters around. I imagine a lot of like handheld, a lot of candid stuff, a lot of skate shots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or there was a lot of tripod locked down. Like what kind of a little bit of both. You get a lot of those shots that you would see in a skateboard video where yeah. there's like someone trailing behind and then there's just, you know, large shots of the park. Um, the actress said it was really challenging to because they had to skate and skate for real and then also act. So they had to like, you know, land a trip or like fall and then like get up and like say a line. And, you know, that that kind of stuff was they said, uh, you know, was pretty challenging from them is that, you know, they're they have to actually skate with the whole film crew filming them and they have to not like mess up and. Right, uh, you know that that kind of thing, and like the fifteen seventeen to Paris, uh, my my running theory that if you are a if you if you are actually at the event or if you are a real person playing yourself in a movie and not tr- not an actor by trade, you're gonna probably be terrible. How did that pan out here? Were the girls okay? Was it rough? I mean, uh, so when it started out, it was a little rough, but it definitely got better, and I I felt like they just kind of settled into their own characters. Um, they said that they all took uh, acting classes together as, as a group. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and be, I think it's easier since they're, they're playing themselves. And it helps that they're all very kind of eccentric characters. Yeah. Uh, wh- one of the characters, uh, I, I can't remember her name, but uh, her name's Nina in, in real life. Um, she's just like a real loud character. She dresses loud. There's this whole thing <laughs> with bananas with the skate kitchen. It's like bananas? A, a, thing, a thing, and they all like – their icon on Instagram is a banana and they like a lot of time where they'll wear yellow or wear like banana themed clothing. It's just like part of what they do. Sure. uh, It's a brand. Yeah. But you know, like I said, the characters are kind of, they're naturally larger than life. So they, just kind of had to be themselves. It wasn't like the boring soldier guys in th- uh, whatever it was, 310 <laughs> 15, to Paris. 17 to Paris. Yeah. Yeah. 
the Q and A after was the director there? Yes. And and how how was that? Do you feel like some good questions were asked? Were their answers okay? Were they shy? Were they outgoing? How did they, how did they handle sitting in front of a group of people? They were actually very nervous. Yeah. <laughs> funny enough. Yeah. Um, I think maybe. Uh, you know, people asked about how did how did the movie come into being? How did she first meet them? Which again, she was just on the subway and saw this group of of girls mm-hmm. all that all skateboard eventually followed them to like their skate park and just saw what they do and wanted to make a story story about them. Um, like you had mentioned how very New York. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. It's like only somewhere in, in New York would d- there be a, a random director on a train and, yeah. def- and find a ra- random group of like skate girls. Mm. Um, so yeah. And th- there were questions about acting and what was difficult and how they got to some of the scenes. Cause there's a lot of very personal, things it's about there's a lot of scenes in with all the girls like just hanging in a room and they're talking about boys or talking about like adolescence or puberty or drugs or family stuff you know so it's 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 just about like that kind of girlhood or like com i want to say fellowship or not brotherhood <laughs> girl right finding that common girl yeah yeah I um, it. which there are tons of films that do that for for men and males and not a lot for women so on that on that front it's i think it's a very good film all right so before we pivot to to film festivals in general which again we will get to lady bird in a second but hear <laughs> me out uh would you recommend skate kitchen yeah i think so okay rock on do you, do you know if it's going to be any kind it of wide com- release probably like straight to it, it's no it's coming out in august uh august 17th okay i believe it's gonna i, I it's not gonna have a huge release but it, it is coming out in theaters I believe. Right. well yeah we should probably you know i'd like to check it out maybe we should check it out on the show more yeah get, get back into it have another conversation uh to talk about film festivals for a second um for those who don't know uh film festivals are tremendously important um and they're important because they are the way many directors get their films out to be seen they're the way people see a lot of like experimental short films they're the way they're the way directors and producers and and basically people in the industry begin to get a foothold you make a movie with your friends or, or whoever you got around and you start submitting it to every film festival you can and any gets accepted to you go you speak you do q a like that's how you start to get around that's how people start to find you uh you know if you can't make a viral video you do, you do the legwork and, and you get moving so film festivals by trade traditionally are in places that are fairly cultural i think is, yeah. a, is a fair assessment uh often laced with what we might commonly refer to as a hipster um <laughs> and, and when you told me oak cliff had a film festival which i didn't know for those who aren't in dallas uh, for for you listening and playing along at home uh no surprise oak cliff has its own of course oak cliff has its own film festival like of course why wouldn't it and antique theater and antique theater sure in the same way denton has a film festival or austin has a film festival which is funny because in all three of these places if i even drop names of the other places people look at me like i like i've murdered somebody (laughs) i could be in denton and be like this place is like austin and people are like oh my god or i can mention oak cliff reminds me of denton and people in oak cliff look at me like i'm insane um but either way how how long is the Oak Cliff Film Festival? It's just a weekend? I don't really know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't do enough research. And you had to set a ticket to the one screening. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, you're a better man than me. Uh, if I had just walked out of a movie and somebody said, hey, you got to get across town in 45 minutes to see this obscure 90-minute film, I probably would have passed. So I appreciate you taking up on it. Uh, what did you think? I mean, is it a theater where there are a bunch of people with badges? So, what was the what was the yeah, vibe? Yeah, so uh, it was at Texas Theater, which is a, which is a historic theater in, yeah. in Dallas. It's a... Uh, 
where I believe Lee Harvey Oswald was caught um, after he, uh, the JFK assassination. That's, that's <laughs> um, grim. It's, it's, it's claim to fame. Uh, it's been around for a long time, and I've seen several things. I've seen Blade Runner 2049 there, uh, Donnie Darko there in the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, it was cool. There, Yeah, there were lots of people that looked uh, like they were directors, lots of badges and cameras, uh, lots of people whispering this and that about film. And, I, I mean, as a film buff, I've never been there, so I, I thought it was super cool. Yeah. Um, how was the turnout? Bunch of people... Yeah, like I said, the, there was a, it, the theater was pretty full. Um, like I said, there was this whole like support group of skater girls like skateboarding outside the theater, and they all you know went in and and this was the other cool part is that the skate kitchen, uh, the group uh, is the next day they were doing like a uh, like a skate thing at uh, a local skate shop or a skate park or something. So like four girls, so like and so you could go and like learn how to skate or just like meet with them and. Uh, you know, have camaraderie and all all that kind of thing. Hmm. And uh, well, I, I guess would you be interested in going again next year? Um, yeah, I'll definitely l- kind of look it up. Maybe do it properly. Maybe see more than one. <laughs> just one yeah, film. I'm gonna get in on this too. Honestly, I'm a little bummed that I didn't know more about it. it shows how how plugged into the cinema world I, I am uh, from my ivory tower and my microphone. Uh, either way, any other thoughts before we move on to our last movie? No, I mean otherwise. It, it was a fun experience. Yeah. It was it was cool seeing a movie that I had never like. The, there's not even a trailer for this movie out, right? Um, so it was it was just great seeing something new. And and there's some big stars. Jaden Smith is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another. Uh, I can't remember her name. She's in Logan. She plays uh, the mom. Yeah, uh, Laura's mom. Uh, you know, so you, you had some big name actors in this as well. Yeah, there is there is a certain like. I don't know. I guess a feeling of like community when you're seeing a movie that has no trailer yet. Like, yeah, it's it's like you feel like you're in on it early, and it's like this is cool. Like, I get to see this thing, and like, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. I haven't I've done it in a while, but I need to get back into the get back into the game. I guess. Well, I suppose that's a perfect segue uh, to our to our last movie of the evening. You wanna you wanna take it away? Uh, yes. <laughs> after after quite a long uh, delay, we're gonna be looking at Lady Bird. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like New York. Or at least Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers live in the woods. Get into those schools anyway. Uh, Lady Bird is the most recent film uh, from Greta Gerwig. This came out in the fall. Uh, It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, uh, I think Best uh, Original Screenplay. Um, And it is only the second feature film um, from Greta Gerwig. It stars Saoirse Ronan as uh, Christine McPherson, who she kind of calls herself Lady Bird. <laughs> and uh, it's a coming-of-age story, and it, it centers around her senior year, which is taking place in 2003, the fall of 2003 to 2004, which is very near and dear to me because I graduated high school in 2002. So it's it's about right... I'm basically the same age that she was at, yeah, at the yeah. making of the film. Mm. Uh, Lady Bird is, is um, she's in Sacramento. She hates it. She wants to leave and go to an East Coast school, quote unquote, where the culture is, um, where <laughs> where writers live in the woods, uh, these, these kinds of things. Uh, she has a very strained relationship with her mother, played by uh, brilliantly by Laurie Metcalf. Um, and it's uh, her mother is very much trying to do what's best, trying to influence her daughter to be the best version of herself. But kind of uh missteps along the way or just they end up going at it uh quite a bit um 
that's kind of that's the setup and then throughout the rest of the movie we touch on different uh pivotal moments throughout her senior year um she fights with her best friend she she kind of uh makes some mistakes with boys um and a number of other things and we see her kind of grow up uh slowly uh across the uh, grow up a little bit i should say not come not completely she makes some small steps um but that's the setup uh zach what do you think i i think this movie uh is really good I think it, it might be great, and I say might because I, I don't I don't know, and, and I've had a few days to process it, and I'm still not sure. There there is there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot, and it's funny because I watched it with Christine, and and she, you know, got to the end and she's. I told her I I, I was really conflicted about how I felt, but it was good overall. It's not like yeah. oh I'm not sure if it was good or bad. No, I'm I'm weighing whether or not it's good or great. Um and and she said why it's it's a coming of age story. I'm like God, there's so much more though. Yeah, there, there's so really much is. more to it. There, there, there's there's themes of like identity, but both publicly, privately, sexually, emotionally. There, there, there's there's generational differences. There, there's there's trouble with like your upbringing versus like who you're raising with the mom. There's themes of like depression, anxiety. There's growing up, moving on, getting older, change, like uh, turning over a new leaf. Like there's. There's a lot yeah, in this movie. It's universal. I always think uh, great movies tell stories that have much bigger themes or that have relate to people outside of the framework of the story. And this this movie definitely does that. I agree. And some of some of the greatest films are the ones that you can watch one you can watch and then put on a shelf for two years and then come back and watch it again and it means something totally different the second time. And like this feels like one of those. Yeah. There's, this is my there, second time to see yeah, it. Yeah, and this is my first. Um uh, technically, it was like one and a quarter. And the reason I said that is because I, I had tried to watch this initially. Um, and I sat down and watched just the opening scene. And, and I, I got to the where, where kind of the credits start, essentially, the, the, the opening of it. And, and I, I stopped it and thought, nope, need to watch this with my girlfriend because she'll be into this because it's this, this cool like story of this girl that's a senior in, in high school and trying to move on to college. And I was like, I think she'll be into this. Totally was. Um, but part of the reason I stopped it is because the first scene has really compelling dialogue. Yeah. And it's funny. It's yeah, very funny. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing is that uh, the whole movie is really funny. And it's it's weird because it's funny in that way that young people, particularly people that are, you know, 17, 18, that are starting to be smart and be aware of the world will still say some really like dumb and ignorant things <laughs> yeah. or just or just very blunt things like ladybird herself is very like casually blunt and really casually rude and she doesn't even realize it mm-hmm. like her and her friend uh you know they try out for a musical and uh her friend goes oh my god i have no idea how i got cast for that part and she goes oh yeah me neither how did you get it like there's tons of lies like that where she's right. so rude and she doesn't even realize it because she's so selfish initially right. and that and that comes across and there, it's funny because there's scenes in this where somebody will call her selfish and i'll think to myself oh wait no that's not how that is you're selfish you did this and like th- this movie definitely doesn't it doesn't grandstand it doesn't put anybody above really anybody else it puts everybody on the same level which is in sacramento california which the movie certainly has something to say about yeah. i have never because there's a quote that the movie opens with about about spending christmas in sacramento <laughs> yeah never done that so i maybe i i can't really you know say either way whether or not it's accurate but there's certainly an element of 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 this idea of this girl that's it's grown up in this place her whole life and has never left and is just ready to get out and do something different and everybody else around her seems to want to stick around all the other girls in school they're like oh i'm i'm staying here i can't wait to raise my kids i might move to san francisco like 
and and she feels totally different. She she she's different and unique, and she's her own thing. She's she goes by a different name for right. what it's worth. Um, and that's really that's really prevalent. Like it's so much of the film is based on that. Yeah, I I felt the movie is shot the way people film New York. Like yeah. I said, so Skate Kitchen, it was a very New York-y. Like, it's subways and turnstiles and busy streets and, you know, th- it, that kind of thing. And that's how this movie is shot, but about Sacramento, which generally you wouldn't do. And, I, I mean, I don't, I've never been to Sacramento either, but I can tell Greta Gerwig shoots it the, as, like, she loves that city the way people idolize New York. Right. And, and while I've never been there, it's easy for me to at least relate to the characters, not only because of their relationships, her relationship with her mom and her dad and her weird brother and like her friends in high school. Like I felt like I had relationships just like that. And in the same way, me growing up, I felt like an outsider where I was. And I feel like an outsider when I'm watching this movie, because I don't know the place and I don't know the setting. And so I can relate to the main character on that level because I'm unfamiliar with it and it feels foreign, just like it feels to her. And it's effective. Like, it works really well. And I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, we mentioned that, that the movie touches on, uh, it's funny, but it touches on some really serious subjects. Some of them are very explicitly stated. Um, like, at one point, her father kind of loses his job. Or he does lose his job. And that's, uh, the family's already under financial strain. Um but then th- there are much more subtle things that are very serious. Um, I didn't catch this till the the second time through, but um, the drama teacher at, w- at one day is just not at school, mm-hmm. and we don't see him again in, until he's actually at um, the hospital. And w- and it's this is never explicitly said, but it's insinuated that he maybe attempted suicide. Yeah, and you it's know. never never explicitly stated. Yeah, and I I completely missed it until the second time I, I saw it. And there's a number of, of small, subtle things that hint at very serious adult um, issues. And again, that Lady Bird is just not seen right. because she's so self-centered. And the movie, because it's built around her, like doesn't dig into them, and you don't really understand them in the same way she does. It's fleeting, it's passing, and you might miss it the first time. And that's part of part of kind of the, the running conflict in this movie is is, is her growing to understand some of these things that she didn't really get. And by the end of the movie, she's reflecting on some events and thinking to herself, man, like that, it makes sense now, but it didn't then. And like, right. that's so, that's so true to life. And it, it speaks to us on that level. I think like the way that you can, you can see something once or somebody can say something small and, and it, it doesn't even matter at the time. And then later you realize it, it did. And like, you, you just missed it. And then that's okay, I guess. Yeah. And uh, part of what I love is that, we see her grow, grow up a little bit. We see her take some baby steps into adulthood. We don't see her become a full-fledged, completely changed, mature person because that's not how growing up happens. It, it is incremental. It is step by step. Because even by the end of the film, when she has changed some and she is more adult, she still is making some big mistakes, but even by the end of the film. Yeah, it's almost like this movie had like a, like an epilogue because it could have ended a little earlier than it did. I yeah. think you know what I mean. And like it's got this extra little bit that's really it's really touching and poignant, but didn't necessarily need to be there. And I, I wonder if that was always intended or what. Like, it, it's not, it, I don't know, it doesn't quite feel like the end of the third act. It feels like an extra little chunk. Like, here's yeah. just an extra little bit um, for you. And, like, it, that, it's arguably what's most effective because that is, you know, the punctuation. That's what you're left with. Um, that's the thing you leave, you know, that you see the credits hit. Uh, and and I... I yeah, I, I think it, it does a great job of underlining um, 
not only everything we've said thus far, but yeah, everything that the movie is, it, it brings it back around and reminds you that like these, I don't know. It, it's, it's a movie that feels very uh, human, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to touch on is the uh, supporting cast. Sure. Um, we have uh, Lucas Hedges, who was in, oh gosh, now I can't remember uh, the movie, uh, Manchester by the Sea. Yes. Um, who I believe he was nominated for Best uh, Supporting Actor. Um, Gosh, he's in he this. was in that. That's where I knew him from. I was trying to figure it out the whole movie. He was in Manchester by the Sea. Right. Yep, uh, got it. Timothy Chalamet, who's had an incredible year. He was in Call Me By Your Name and another big movie I can't remember. He was just so cool in this movie. Too. Yeah. Oh, he was, you know, I love his character because he plays this, like, incredibly, like, pretentious pseudo-intellectual. Oh yeah. He's At one point, he's like, oh, you know, I don't really care about money but he like he comes from a very wealthy family yeah um you know and, and he's like w- at, there's a big party going on and he's just sitting out by the pool reading a book like pretending that he's so so woke compared to everyone right. else. i i don't smoke real cigarettes i i smoke hand rolled only and and the government is going to be spying on all of us with our cell phones and oh my god yeah it's reading reading books and like just so pretentious it's great but we get all these these colorful supporting characters her best friend uh played by beaning oh, i can't remember her last name um is also uh feldstein Beanie yeah feldstein. thank you um is also a very she's really funny uh and a good support in it they have a, you know kind of a they they get into a conflict as well and it's it's a little heartbreaking and again we learn more about beanie's backstory kind of uh, or her home uh, life t- towards the end of the film. And again, that it takes Lady Bird kind of going through her own growing pains to realize who is and who isn't her friend. Yeah. And, and that's like an interesting little kind of subplot that like I didn't, I didn't really focus on watching the movie. Maybe I should have spent more time on it. Um, I was real caught up in the conflict between like the mom and the daughter. That That's primarily yeah. where my, my attention was. Um, and a little bit about like, Lady Bird's kind of sexuality and kind of discovering herself and where, where she is in the world. Um, that was important. Also, the college stuff. There's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's, there really is a lot of layers to but it. But it never feels like too much. No. And it never feels it never feels too long. I think it's 90 minutes. Yeah. It, it, it comes in clean. It, does, it has a lot to say, and then it gets out. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I Gosh, anything else? Uh, so there's this. So she goes to this private Catholic school, and it, okay. uh, th- this is yeah, in, this sure. is important to mention because like this theme of like kind of religion or the institution of like these religious schools um, is a big part of of the movie. Um, her family can't really afford to send her there, but they keep you know they said, "Oh, your brother saw someone stabbed at, at the public school, so this is why." <laughs> um, and but so she goes to a school with other wealthy kids, but she's not, herself is not wealthy, and so that causes uh, some strain as well mm-hmm. yeah and that's definitely an issue like class yes yeah and and how 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 you look when you're away from your house versus how you look when you're there there's this great bit where she asks her dad to uh drop her off a, a block away from school yeah she likes walking and i think to her at least and correct me if i'm wrong it's genuinely because she likes walking but no you don't think so? No. Okay. You think no, she, was... she's embarrassed to be? She's embarrassed by her parents, like okay. a lot of people. Because she are denied that, that later in the movie. She said, "No, that that's not it at all." And I assume that she just genuinely liked to like get out and walk. No. And no. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. Um, but yeah, there's this there's this whole thing of like you're, you're embarrassed by your parents, and like maybe your 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 parents are let down by that, and that affects them more than you know. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. It's the kind of movie I, get, I finished watching. I, like, I need to call my mom. Like, I haven't talked to her in a while. <laughs> well, and the other thing is that it, it has really high rewatchability. Like, this is the second time I've seen it. I caught a lot more, and it's really funny. It, it's a lot of really dry humor, a lot of really, like, kind of shocking and really overly blunt lines. And, sure. And things like that, uh, amongst, like, some really serious issues. Yeah. <sighs> Anything else you want to say? Um, I really like the score as, as well. Sorry, <laughs> I wish I had no. I wish I had as much to say about it as you do. I just haven't like I don't know. I guess maybe maybe it's the easier second on the watch, second time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot to take in first time around. Um, it, it's it's hard to decide. It's one of these. It's very kind of laid back. The the music and there's these great shots where uh, Lady Bird's walking, and it kind of flips through different scenes. Like she'll be in the park, then in in front of homes, then on the bridge, and it's all kind of one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what did you think about how it was shot from the director, from a uh, directing standpoint? It, it had vibes, and this is going to sound awful, but I think you'll understand why. It reminded me of Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. <laughs> and, and part of the reason is because of the time. It's 2002. Yeah. They, they live in a, a relatively low-budget house in California, which is just like Napoleon Dynamite. Like, I don't know, like the wood paneling on the inside of the house and the carpet and the, and the first floor, like... Just a lot of it reminded me of that, and so I, cu- I kept I kept drawing on that for some reason. But it's it's very it's very locked down. Not a lot of handheld. When it gets handheld, usually things are I don't want to say steamy, but but things are 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 raucous. They're at a party. They're drinking. Uh, they they're uh, about to start fornicating. I, I don't know. But like um, otherwise, like when things are particularly emotional or a little off the rails, otherwise it's pretty much all locked down. A lot of straightforward shots, a lot of Wes Anderson kind of just like, here's the scene in front of you, you know? Um, but they're, they're not afraid to kind of change it up and kind of do they'll do like a low angle over here if they're in a classroom or kind of like up high over this way and like a security camera kind of thing. Um, I, I enjoyed the variety. Greta clearly is not not shy of trying new things and, and like yeah. that, that shows in this movie for, for a directorial debut. Um, it is it is totally worth the price of admission. So yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm anxious to see what she's gonna do next. Oh sure, me too. I I forget that she's also like an actress. That that tough me to keep track of this woman. But I'm excited to see whatever she's doing next. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Lady Bird? Absolutely. It's a great film. Good coming of age story, which I usually roll my eyes when I hear coming of age story because they're done a lot. They're not generally done particularly well. Um, and they can be hard to relate to. But that's what's so good about this movie is it's it's relatable to lots of people no matter your age. Yeah, it is It is a ton of fun. I would recommend it as well. It's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the movie you sit down and watch with your friends if you're going to have a good time, um, but it's 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 intellectual. And it's, it's, like I said, it's worth the price of admission. It's on Amazon Prime. If you have Prime, it costs you nothing. It is 90 minutes. Throw it on your watch list at least and get to it at some point. It's got, a, it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, for God's sake. Come on. It's worth your time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Lady Bird is a cool movie. And I think that about wraps our show. Yep. Uh, I guess for next week, and we were going back and forth on this, and we still haven't really decided, and sometimes I think that's the best way to do this. We've got the easy one, the one in the bag, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That is the big movie that's coming out. That's what we're going to see. Go see it too. Come correct. We're going to talk about it. We won't spoil it, we swear. Um, like the trailers didn't do that already. And then we're also going to see, and this one's a little rough uh, for, for off script, <laughs> though I'm a bold cinema. We're going to watch Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, the Luc Besson film. It is on Amazon Prime. You should check it out with us. It is, I mean, it is how we kind of got our name or our tagline. Off script, the home of bold cinema? Yeah. Oh, sure. (laughs) How did that happen again? 
there was an article written before the movie came out and said, you know, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, why audiences reject bold cinema. <laughs> That's it. And you sent it to me and you were like, bold cinema. And I was like, oh, yeah, bold cinema. And then it somehow... Mostly you, I think. It morphed uh, into a yeah. joke, and then somehow it became Turned it our into tagline. A bit, and somehow now we're the home of bold cinema, and and well met, I think too. I think <laughs> we're doing a great job. Um, but that being said, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom and Valerian: The City of a Thousand Planets. Go see Jurassic World if you can't. Check out Valerian and join us on the conversation. If you want to get involved in what we're doing, check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our email at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and email us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you thought of Lady Bird or The Incredibles too. If you think we're dumb. It's fine. You can tell us. Rate and review on iTunes. Don't tell us we're dumb in the ratings. Just give us good ratings and review us with bad things. That's fine. Like, give us the five <laughs> stars and then tell us we're bad. I'm okay with that. Um, but let us know uh, what you think. Get involved in the show. Please do. We read correspondence on the air if we get it. That's right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll read just whatever you Lawrence, not, not whatever you <laughs> we read it about. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, that being said, I think that just about covers everything on my very bumpy conclusion. Andy, any other thoughts? No. All right, well, uh, for Off Script, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.